Good morning and welcome. Thank you for being with us. My name's Craig. I'm the senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us. If you're a guest with us, thank you so much for making time on this Sunday morning to gather with us as we come together to worship the Lord. If you are a guest, I want to ask a big favor from you. Inside of your worship folder, there's a little tear-off. If you would tear that off and fill it out, dropping the offering plate on your way by, just let us know that you are here so that we can drop you a letter in the mail this week. If you would prefer, you can do that online at malvernhill.org connect. Regardless of how you do it, just please do us the favor of filling that out so that we'll know you were here. I'm not going to come visit you this afternoon, I promise. I just want to drop you a letter in the mail and let you know that we appreciated it. Uh, this has been VBS Week, so thank you so much to so many of you who volunteered in Vacation Bible School. Thank you for bringing your children. Um, Robert, or well, Robert did too, but Rhonda Adams and April Garbade really just worked diligently along with um, Autumn and and Ginger, our assistants here, who just did so much to make this happen this week. I'm really grateful for all the effort and attention that went in. We love VBS so much at Malvern Hill that we're not content to just do it here. We sent a group of eight to Latvia to do VBS there. So we're just exporting Vacation Bible School all around the world. Um, but you do pray for that mission team that's away, please, this week. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20. And we've been in Acts for quite some time. And uh, one of the things that we're going to see in this passage of Scripture, it's a passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul speaks to a group of Ephesian elders. That is, elders, overseers of the Ephesian church. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of liberty, and we're going to explain and show how not only do these truths apply to overseers within a church, but these truths apply to those of you who are overseers in your homes. They apply to our families in the way that we should engage with the gospel at home. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 26. And I'm just going to warn you, we're going to jump straight in as soon as I finish the text. So buckle up. It's going to be a good time. All right. Stand with me in honor of God's word, please. Hear now, for this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, I testified... Oh, by the way, this is Paul speaking to this group who has come to him uh, at a place called Miletus. Okay? So, uh, verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Please pray with us. Father God, thank you for loving us and giving us this word. Show us, Lord God, how we may be spiritual leaders in our homes and our churches. Father God, how we may take the next generation 
to the foot of the cross. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Beware of the wolves. That is the title of this message today. And I intentionally want you to think carefully about how it is that you can protect your children and your family. The question that we're wrestling with is this. How should I lead in my home? But I thought about it a little bit after the first service. I also wanted to say, how could I lead in my home? Instead of just the imperative, I want you to be encouraged to know that you can be a spiritual leader in your home and in your church. You can lead others closer to Jesus and to know him just a little bit more. Again, this passage of scripture is written, um, or it's, it's, it's written by Luke, but it's a passage of scripture that tells us the story of the Apostle Paul speaking to a gathered group of the Ephesian overseers or elders. These are pastors and leaders within the Ephesian church. And what's happening is Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. And Paul knows that when he gets there, he's going to be arrested. Paul knows that this is the last time that he will see this group of leaders. And as a result of that, Paul has some very specific and intentional instructions and warnings for these believers. And I believe that these same warnings and instructions are incredibly applicable for us today. Not only for the church of Jesus Christ, but also in our homes. Because just as these were leaders in the church, those of you who are parents are called to be leaders in your homes. And if you go, well, I'm 14, I'm 15, I'm 16, this doesn't really apply to me. I want you to know that the, the most impactful sermon on parenting that I remember hearing in my entire life, I heard at 18 years old. I still remember that sermon. So don't write me off just because you're not a parent yet. Or maybe you're an empty nester. Don't write me off. Because maybe you have grandchildren. If you don't have them yet, you will. And even if you don't or never will have grandchildren or children of your own, listen to me. We need you to be these kind of spiritual leaders in this church as role models and examples and guides for children and teenagers who are going to come up behind you so that we can raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. I had the opportunity just yesterday to go and visit with one of our brand newborn babies and to pray over that child. And my prayer is that that child would come up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Folks, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens when we, as adults, as parents, as leaders, as church members, do all that we can to see these children come up. So how should you lead in your home? Looks a lot like the same way we should lead in the church. The first thing that Apostle Paul says to this group of gathered leaders is that they should pay attention to themselves. Right there in verse 20, 20, uh, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Pay attention. You say, Craig, how in the world can I begin to be the spiritual leader in my home? First of all, pay attention. Hey, side note, let me just say this. Men, it's your responsibility to lead in your homes. It is your responsibility to be the spiritual leaders. Ladies, if your husband is not stepping up to lead spiritually, don't let that hold you back from pursuing Christ with your whole heart. Chase after Jesus. Peter's going to talk a whole lot about that in his epistle, about how it is that women who love the Lord well and love their husbands well can actually lead their husbands to Christ. So y'all chase after Jesus, okay? Y'all chase him with all that you have. All right, pay attention to yourself. Listen, you can't care for others if you haven't cared for yourself. You can't care for others if you haven't cared for yourself. That's physically, spiritually, emotionally, 
I was listening to somebody this week talk about emergency preparedness, and uh, some of those guys give me a lot of humor because they talk about all the gear that you need to have and all the months of food that you got to be stockpiled on, or if you're out in the wilderness, all these different things that you have to have. And this guy said, all that stuff's great. He said, but if you're out in the wilderness alone and you can't walk three miles back to where you came from, you really ain't got anything. You can buy all the gear in the world you want, but if your feet aren't working, you can't get there. He said, if you're going to be prepared for any emergency, the first step for you to do is to get yourself physically prepared. Y'all, we've got to be prepared to lead our children, to lead our homes, to lead our churches effectively. Now look, run back up to verse 17 with me. The Bible says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, and this is when he gets, starts talking. You don't know much about Miletus, but let me tell you exactly what's happening right here. Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem, and he's bypassing Ephesus on purpose. Ephesus caused him some problems, plus there's this church that he loves. He's trying to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. So he's on a time schedule. And Paul is concerned that if he goes to Ephesus, he's not going to make his goal, right? He's not going to get there by the time that he needs to be there. As a result, he's not stopping in Ephesus. But he has a message that he really desperately wants to share with the leaders of the church in Ephesus. So when he gets to Miletus, he sends, letter, uh, he sends notice, hey, y'all come see me, I got some things to say. Now that doesn't mean much to you until I tell you this. That's 30 miles from Ephesus. 30 miles. The Ephesian elders were willing to go 30 miles one way just to sit with Paul and listen to what he had to say. Before they could be trusted to care for the flock of God, they had to be taking care of themselves. They had to be pursuing Christ. Y'all, if you're going to lead well in your homes, it begins by leading yourself well. And that's going to take some work. You might not have to walk 30 miles each way, but are you willing to if that's what it would take for you to grow in godliness? The reality is most of us aren't asked to walk 30 miles each way. Most of us are just asked to get out of bed 15 minutes early enough to spend time in God's Word. Do you understand? This is what has to happen. We've got to pay attention to ourselves, taking care. Now, some of you say, well, Pastor Craig, how in the world am I going to take care of myself if you're telling me I need to be raising my children to know the Lord? What am I going to do to take care of me when I'm supposed to be investing in them? Jesus had something to say to it about that for us, fortunately. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Listen, if you want to lead your home well, begin by leading yourself well. <coughs> I'm sorry. Ooh, excuse me. Begin by leading yourself well. You're going to kill two birds with one stone that way. Because not only are you going to be growing in godliness, but when your children see you seeking the Lord, then you're leading them by example. One of the things that I encourage parents to do, I want, I want my children, I want your children as well, I want them to catch me reading God's Word. And here's what I mean by that. I want them to walk into a room occasionally and just discover that I am pursuing the Lord, not for show, I'm pursuing the Lord not for anybody else. I'm doing it in the privacy of my own home. I'm doing it so that they just happened upon me. I want those kids to get up early some mornings and just find me in prayer, find me journaling, find me studying God's Word because I want them to know that Daddy doesn't do this for a show or just for them, but this is all about me seeking the Lord with my heart. 
And that's what it is for you. Pay attention to yourself. Paul is going to give them some encouragement to watch out for wolves. He's going to give them some encouragement to lead the church. But the first thing he says is pay attention to yourselves. That's what I say to you. Pay attention to yourselves. Seek the Lord with your whole heart. Listen, if you haven't done that up to this point in your adult life, you're going to discover that when you put God first in your life, it's going to change a whole lot of things. Everything might not get easier right away, but you know what you're going to find? You're going to find joy, satisfaction, contentment. contentment. It's going to be there for you. You're going to find it in ways that you didn't know were possible. Seek Him first. How do you lead your home first? Pay attention to yourself. The second thing, lead your children. Lead your children. Paul was honest about what was coming, but he also urged them to care not only for themselves, but for the flock of God under them. So he didn't say, all right, take care of yourself and everything else will be all right. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, well, you just do your quiet time and just leave everybody else up to themselves. No, no, no. Listen, you are the overseers in your home. You are. Parents, you are. Please don't abdicate that role. Please don't give up that responsibility. Don't surrender. You are the overseers. Listen, you are leading your children. Where are you leading them? I rewrote this statement several times this week because initially what I said was lead your children. And it's left it at that. But then I was reminded of the fact that you are leading them. You're leading them by your example. You see, you're either leading closer to Jesus or further away. There really is no, um, no, no middle ground there. They are either drifting away from Christ or they're actively pursuing Christ. And much of that is coming about as a result of your investment in their lives. Now, as you think about what it looks like to lead your children, be aware that you don't give them too many options that they're not yet ready to handle. Be careful with that. You are to lead them. If I put my children, some of whom are nearly grown, in charge of their diet on a regular basis without giving them any instruction, my children's diet, I think, would consist of party pizzas, you know, those little dollar ones from the grocery store, and chicken nuggets. And that'd be about it, you know? Right? We've got to be careful how many, how, many, how many choices we give. I was listening to a guy talk about uh, hunting and getting his kids involved in the outdoors this week, and... He was asked, how did he do that with his children? How did he encourage them to do that? He said, when my kids were four or five, I didn't give them choices. At four or five years old, they're not, they're not yet ready to make choices. I said to them, tomorrow we're going to go outside and do this. Or tomorrow we're going to go hunting and get up and get dressed and you're going to go with me. As they got older, they began to have opportunities to have choices and opinions on those things. But at young ages, they didn't. Parents, listen. You might get gold stars from somebody somewhere when you give your four-year-old lots of choices, but you're not actually helping your kid. They don't know what they want. They don't. And not only do they not know what they want, it's not fair, as my children like to say when they were younger, it's not fair. It's not fair for us to put that burden on them. Moms, how many of y'all, if I told you that I would give you a prescription for the rest of the week and that prescription would tell you when you got up in the morning what you needed to put on, what was going to look best, it was going to tell you what kind of, a, uh, what kind of breakfast the kids are going to have and it's going to tell you what, what you should have for dinner every single week. How many of y'all put your hands up and go, man, that sounds like a great idea. Just give me a few decisions I don't have to make. 
Barack Obama famously only had one color of suit and one color of shirt. He wasn't making any decisions about that. When he walked in, he was going to wear a blue suit and he was going to wear a white shirt and a red tie. And that was it. I think it was a red tie. Don't quote me on that. Regardless, he took away as many choices as he could. What are we doing when we give our kids so many choices when they're super young? We're not helping them. We might feel like we are, but you're not. Not only are you not helping them, you're actually giving them the seeds of rebellion. Because when at four years old, they have 15 choices, then at eight, they're going to expect 30 choices. And at 14, when we've taken away their choices, then they're angry at us because we changed the rules of the game. Parents, why are we giving these kids choices? Why? We're not loving them well when we're not steering them in proper directions. We need to help them to know what is right. One of the things that we learned early on when we were raising our children, our, our little children, is that when we would ask them a question, we would follow it up with the answer that we wanted them to give us. So when they were young, um, really young especially, you know, hey, pick up your shoes. And then we would say, hey, pick up your shoes. I would follow it up with, yes, sir, or, or something like that, because I wanted them to know how a proper response was. I needed to help them win, right? Now, what was great is when I'd say, yes, sir, and they go, oh, and I go, oh, here we go. Here we go, you know. It's on now. I told them how to do it, and they have dug their heels in. Let's be careful with that. Lead your children. But look, good leadership requires purpose and intentionality. You don't accidentally lead your kids to Jesus. You don't accidentally parent well. You might get that occasional accidental win, okay, we, we uh, several months back, we had dinner at the house. It was one of those laid back evenings. And then all of a sudden the kids got quiet and then they started laughing, all four of them. And uh, usually if that happens, that means that they're somewhere making fun of us. And so Angela and I tiptoed into the den and all four of them were gathered around like a card game in the den, just playing together from, you know, eight years old all the way up to 15 years old. And man, we felt like we had won. You know, it's one of those moments as a parent where we couldn't have recreated if we wanted to. But for just a brief moment, we won. We won. It was all accidental. I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't happen accidentally over and over and over again. That's a one-off. We've got to be on purpose we got to have roadmaps to success. we got to be seeking and aiming at something. Look, I have a notorious, notoriously bad sense of direction. Okay? I wish it wasn't true, but it is. If I'm, some of y'all are shaking your heads, and I don't appreciate that. Um, if I am going to lead my family somewhere in the physical sense, I use a gps okay if i i just do if if we're going out of kershaw county i'm putting it in the gps because otherwise i'll just mess it up i will i wish it wasn't the case but it but it is good leadership though requires me to be purposeful and intentional i'm going to pull it up i'm going to say this is where we're going and rather than just hope i meander my way there i'm going to look for the way how many of y'all have actually identified the targets you have for your children and you're being intentional about getting them there. Part of the reason that we're seeing God do some really great things in our student ministry right now is because our student ministry has a set of goals that they've set. The characteristics that we're trying to create in our students. So there's a student profile called Malvern Mike and Malvern Mary. There's one for the guys and one for the girls. And there are, I think, seven different characteristics and character traits that we want to see. And so part of what Adam's doing is over and over and over again working to do things throughout the year that help to target or aim at one of those character traits. 
And that's part of why we're seeing God do some pretty amazing things because we have targets and we have roadmaps to get us there. As parents, you've got to be intentional. Know what you're doing. Lead your children. Look, you're leading them anyway. The question is where? Are you willing to do what it takes to lead them closer to Jesus? And as you're doing that, not only in leading your homes do you need to be, pay attention to yourself and lead your children. Third, this morning, you, you've got to watch out for wolves. You've got to watch out for wolves. It's, it's just not okay for us to continue to pretend like the world is safe. And you pretending like the world is safe doesn't make it so. Now, now look, I want to leave you with some encouragement. There are aspects of our world that are safer today than they've been in a very long time. Please let your kid go ride their bike in the neighborhood. They're going to be all right. The world isn't like it was when I was little. You're right, it's not. Because if you grew up in the 70s, the world was far more dangerous for you than it is for those children to ride their bicycles, okay? There were a whole lot more kidnappings happening then. There was a lot more violence toward children happening then, just on a per capita basis. That's what we know. So let the kids go play outside. They'll be all right, okay? So be encouraged by that. Kick them out of the house. Give them a helmet, and you'll be real safe. Kick them out, and everything will be fine. Okay? Matter of fact, kicking them out of the house is probably safer for them than leaving them cooped up in the house in front of a video game. Okay? All right? So pretending like the world, though, is safe doesn't make it so. You need to be aware of the fact that there are those people and those things in our world that seek to destroy your children. When Paul says to them that fierce wolves are going to come in, don't miss that imagery. Fierce wolves. I don't know if you know much about wolves, but they're not exactly cuddly. And when they're called fierce wolves, these are coming in to inflict harm. They're coming in to kill and to steal and destroy, as Jesus warned that Satan would do in John chapter 10. Listen, you need to acknowledge the real existence of danger for your kids. Just be honest about it. It's there. One of the things I worry about is sounding like a broken record as your pastor. Um, I recognize that anytime I, I speak about the dangers that are confronting our children and teenagers, I feel like I say the same things over and over and over again. And this week, I, I worked through this list that I'm going to share with you in just a minute. And I wrote, it, I wrote it one day, and then I came back to it another day and another day. I actually worked through this list all week because I wanted to see if, if we couldn't get it hitting close to home. And I shared uh, with, with Adam, I said, I just feel like a broken record because I say the same things over and over and over again. And he said, well, maybe... Maybe it's not so much that you're a broken record, but just the reality that as an adult, there's certain things that you struggle with over and over and over again. And, and at a certain stage of life, there are other things that, that kids are just struggling with over and over and over again. That's the reality. If I sound like a broken record to you and you wonder if maybe these things are actually true, I, I want to encourage you. If you don't believe me, then ask somebody else. There's a good number of mental health counselors and teachers in this church that see a lot of the same things that I see. You can talk with Adam. He can see the, tell you about what he's seeing with teenagers as he's working. Pastor Kevin's doing a lot of research in these areas right now for a class he's taking. He can tell you that the research is telling us the same thing that we're seeing on the ground right now. Lots of struggles for our kids. There's real existence. So what is some of the danger that your kids are facing? Near the top of that list is the dangers of social media. And look, we've reached a place where it's not just somebody within the church that's sounding the alarm. Secular media is sounding the, the alarm. And those inside of these platforms are sounding the alarm. It doesn't mean that social media is bad in and of itself. But the reality is that we have evidence now to suggest that at the very least, Facebook and Instagram, Snapchat, most likely TikTok as well, is actually targeting young girls 
and targeting the, the insecurities that they have about their lives and preying on that in our young girls. We're seeing that, and there's evidence to support that, right? There's body images that, issues that are coming with this, and those body image issues aren't just eating disorders. Those body image issues are gender dysphoria. Those body image issues are confusion over their sexuality. And all this is bombarding our kids at every place that they turn. Parents, please listen to me. If you've given your eight-year-old access to social media, you've invited a wolf into their pocket and into their bedroom and into their lives. And when they suffer, parents, listen. It's on you. You've given them a loaded gun and then you don't understand how they got hurt. Our kids are at risk from secular ideologies. Our kids are at, at risk from watered-down Christianity. Watered-down Christianity. How could they be at risk from watered-down Christianity? Because they get just a little dose of Christianity once a month or so, and as a result, they don't get enough to know anything. They're at risk from false doctrine. They're, they're at risk from extracurricular activities. When good things become God things, they become sinful things. I was speaking with a guy just this week who shared with me that um, last calendar year, he spent $20,000 on his kids' extracurricular activity. $20,000. Man. Y'all, if we're spending more money on our kids' extracurricular activities than we are on our tithes to our local church or on our children's education, then we need to ask the questions of where our priorities are at. Real existence in danger. Coaches. Right, I said it. I know. And we got good coaches in here. I know that we have some great ones. But let me just warn you, parents. Some of you are paying people to coach your children who have zero interest in the character development of your kids and only have interest in seeing them excel in a particular sport or particular extracurricular activity. You're literally giving money to somebody who is not interested in the person they're creating, but on the product they're getting on a court or on a field. Or in a dance studio or an art studio or whatever it is. And listen, as a result of that, watch, we are telling our kids, we're wrapping them up in these extracurricular activities, we're telling them that that's what their identity is. Well, I didn't say that. I told them their identity is in Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you spent 20 grand on it last year, you might have told them a whole lot of things, but they know where your priorities are, okay? And they know what you spent. They're not stupid. So if you spent 20 grand on it, they know where the priorities are. Now watch. They're going to turn 18, and for most of their kids at 18, their extracurricular activities end. Okay? Whether they, if they go and they do them in college, then maybe it goes through 22. But for most of them, they end. And when they end, they find themselves in the middle of an identity crisis. Guess where they are when their identity crisis hits? They're out of your house. They're in college. And they're suddenly no longer an athlete. They're no longer a football player, whatever it is. And they're trying to figure out who in the world they are. Well, since their identity is not rooted in Christ, they're turning to every place they can find to figure out who they are. And you can't figure out why they're looking for their identity by sleeping around or in the bottom of a bottle or in drugs. 
You can't figure out why their life seems to be spinning out of control. And here's what you do. You go, that college has ruined them. Parents, listen to me. And I, I, Please listen to me. Colleges might ruin our kids. But most of the time, that's because they never had their identity established before they left home. Extracurricular activities aren't bad. But where's our identity? It's got to be in Jesus. What are the other things? Danger. Video games. VBS was this week. We had kids, little kids, so third graders talking about playing Grand Theft Auto. You don't know what that is. That's fine. Good for you. I'm proud of you. You know what it is? It's a video game rated TVMA. What is TVMA? That is mature audiences. You're not supposed to be able to purchase a game like that unless you're 17. You're not supposed to be playing that game unless you're 17 years old. Because it has mature content. I'll let your brain do the, the, the imagination about what that is. And by the way, if you don't know what it is, think about what mature content is on your TV screen and just know that's coming into video games. I wish I could tell you that it's only kids that wander in here from VBS and don't have church background, but unfortunately, I've got parents in this church who are not being intentional, who are not watching out for the wolves and assume that nothing bad's going to happen. It's just a game. We played them when we were kids. What's the big deal? Listen to me, y'all. How many of us look back at the mistakes that we made in our youth that we don't want to repeat? The things that we regret to this day. How dare we not work to protect our children from those same mistakes, from those same errors? I know that some of the things I'm saying are not easy. I have four children in my house. They're not perfect. Pastor's kids, I've heard about them. They have their own stereotypes, you know. They're good kids. We've got to acknowledge the real existence of danger. Be aware of the idolatry that invades our kids' lives. Starve those idols. Remember, they don't have developed prefrontal cortexes. They don't actually know what they want. Now look, some of y'all are going, oh, my kids are so mature and they fight me at every turn. How many of y'all, and look, look, I know there's a handful of y'all in here. How many of y'all wish that you could go back and marry the girl you dated at 14? Yeah, husbands, go ahead and put your hand up. That's good. <laughs> go for it. How many of y'all can look back at the one you prayed that God would just let you, just, just let him speak to you? How many of y'all can look back at those and go, boy, did God know what he was talking about? How many of y'all could look back and say, my daddy knew what he was talking about or my mama knew what they were talking about? Right? They don't know what they want at 14. You didn't either. We need people to guide us, to direct us, to walk those journeys. Listen, in addition to acknowledging the real existence of danger, let me encourage you, know who you can trust. And they're usually the people who've been there the longest. Look, Paul says, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, there's going to be people that's going to come in, and they're going to say, I didn't know anything. They're going to say, that Paul was just a charlatan. He was just a fake. He was a phony. You don't need to listen to him. You need to listen to me. Paul said, listen, when they show up, I warned you they were coming. And I want you to remember the guy that sat with you all night long and cried with you. I want you to remember the guy that was willing to be there in the hard times and not just the one who's here to pick up the pieces. 
I wish I could tell you that it's not true, but it is true. I've become an enemy to people in the past because they found someone else who would tickle their ears. You know how hurtful it is when you look at people that you've cried with, that you've wept with, that you've labored with. And the minute they found somebody that would say what they wanted to hear, they walked away. Be careful who you trust. Be careful who you trust with your children. Find one of those kids that's a gifted athlete and then get ready because here's the call you're going to hear. If you'll just pay me, I can turn them into something. If you'll just send them to me, they'll play Major League. We'll do it. I got six in the minors right now. Be careful. Man, if you'll send them to me, I can get them in the best dance school. Be careful. So acknowledge the real existence of danger. Do this for me. Do not be the wolf you're guarding against. Several weeks ago, I made a, a slip up in a sermon in this service, in the second service, and I, uh, I, said, um, I said, stop protecting your kids from Jesus. Well, that wasn't what I meant to say. But man, after I said it, it's hit me like a ton of bricks for the past couple of weeks. I've wrestled through that. Stop protecting your kids from Jesus. Don't protect your kids from Jesus. See, we limit our kids' engagement with things that are dangerous. So we limit screen time at our house. We limit caffeine and junk food. Right? We limit asbestos. You know? We, we limit lead paint. I mean, we do though, right? Some of y'all limit, I mean, we should probably limit how much sun exposure they get. I mean, the, in the Thompson house, as white as we are, there's a lot of sunscreen, you know. Like, we are white or red. There's no in-between for us. But the point is that the things that are harmful, we put limitations on to protect our children. Do not limit your kids' exposure to Jesus so much that you protect them from a relationship with Christ. Parents, we can easily become the wolf that we're trying to protect our children from when we decide that everything else in their life is worth pursuing. And a relationship with Jesus needs to go on the back burner. That a relationship with their local church needs to go on the back burner. Parents, become the cool parent. That's great. Don't make them come to church. That's wonderful. But when the, when the wheels run off of their life, where are they going to turn? Dig into the church. Which brings us to our fourth point this morning. I know it's a little late, so stick with me. We're almost done, okay? Cling to your allies. Cling to your allies. The Ephesian elders came together. They went all the way to where Paul was. They listened to him. They prayed. They loved each other. They hugged Paul. Paul was going to Jerusalem. He knew he was going there to be arrested and maybe to die. They came together. They loved on one another. Paul says, you need each other. Listen, there is strength in numbers. Don't try to do this parenting thing all by yourself. Find a community of people who are raising their kids the way you want to raise your kids. Listen to what I said. Not necessarily find a community of people that are doing what you're doing if you're not pleased with what you're doing. Find a community of people who are raising their kids the way you want to raise your kids. How do you figure that out? Look at some of the teenagers that are turning out and the young adults. 
One of the cool things about VBS for me this week, and y'all should, like, let's just move on. One of the cool things for me at VBS is to see 13-year-old sweeping with a broom, right? 15-year-olds teaching because they want to, not because they had to. But the best part for me is to see some 20-somethings who I have seen grow up in VBS to come back with their own children and bring them here. One of my favorite things right now is when I get to visit newborn babies and I helped raise their mama and daddy here. And that's when I say, you know what? This is the kind of place I want my children to be because there are kids who grow up here that come back to raise their own kids here. Find a community that's not short-lived. That's the value of a church. One of the things that we want to do here is to create a generational church. Anything that we're doing, looking ahead with our refocus team, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about my grandkids. I recognize that my kids might not benefit from all this stuff. They might not just because of their ages, especially not all of my kids. But I'm doing something because I want to build a place where the faith of Jesus Christ, where relationships with Jesus make a difference in this community for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Find you a community of people that's bigger than your extracurricular activities. My parents raised us in church, but they also were super involved in other things when we were younger. My brothers and I were involved in sports, and my parents were involved in like the booster club at our high school. They volunteered. They raised money. They did all the things, and they, they developed some great friendships in that group. They had a wonderful time. But my brothers and I graduated from high school. And when we graduated from high school, that community that they were a part of just kind of fell apart because everybody's kids went all these other places. If that was the only community they had, then they didn't have anything. There they are, empty nesters and all alone. Fortunately, they had a family, a church family to fall back on. You need that long-term commitment, y'all. There's strength in numbers. Cling to your allies. And then finally, why should it be a church? Because there's hope found in Christ's church. Hope. Hope for today and hope for tomorrow and hope for all of eternity. The church is more than a social club. There's eternal hope found because the church of Jesus Christ is the vehicle for the proclamation of the gospel in this world. Jesus instituted the church so that disciples could be made of all ages. And it was for that reason that he commands us to go and make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church, the church not of Craig Thompson, not the church of Malvern Hill, the church of Jesus Christ. Because the church is built and founded upon his death, burial, and resurrection. It's the blood of Jesus that has purchased for us salvation from our sins. And ultimately, as parents, what we're doing is we're trying to plug our kids into a church where they can find Jesus. And grow in that relationship until we send them out on their own into the world. And that brings us to our conclusion this morning. Is your house in order? Is your house in order? The first house you've got to worry about is your own spiritual house. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? It's hard for you to lead spiritually until you know Jesus yourself. The promise of God's word is that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but there is hope for all of us if we would turn to Christ. But it's not just your own personal life. Not your own spiritual life, but it's your house in order. 
Are you leading your children to Christ? Are you leading your church closer to Christ? Are you leading those around you closer to Christ? You don't have to leave here without getting your house in order. It's okay if you showed up here and it was in a mess. You don't have to leave here without making a decision to see it changed. And you don't have to make those decisions all alone. Because there is strength in numbers, in the community of faith, and in the body of Christ. Where we can collectively work together to see our community changed and our individual families transformed. So this morning, would you come? Some of you probably should come this morning and spend some time in prayer. Confessing to the Lord that your house has been out of order. That you need to make the decisions to get your house in order. To lead your children, your family well. There may be some of you who are teenagers here today who say, my, my parents have been working hard to try and bring our house into order and I have lived in rebellion. I have been frustrating. I have been angry. Some of you probably need to repent because you've not responded well to parents who have tried to lead you closer to Jesus. Some of you may just come and say, Pastor Craig, I don't know the Lord. And I'd love to see what that next step looks like. Whatever it is that the Lord's doing at work in your life as we sing, would you come today? Please come as the Lord leads. Stand with me as we pray. Father God in heaven, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Thank you for Jesus who died to save us from our sin. Thank you for a community of faith. Father, I pray you be at work among us. Forgive us for our sin and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.